Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 19 Dragon and Dungeon Magazines. Throughout the history of hobbies, regardless of the hobby, there's been one constant publications dedicated to the hobby itself. Whether it's model railroading, RC vehicles, music, you name it, it has at least one magazine dedicated to it. Dungeons & Dragons has been fortunate to have had two magazines. But before we launch into our exploration of the foci of this week's show, we have to take a historical half-step back and bring in some more history. In 1975, TSR began publishing a magazine titled The Strategic Review. The Strategic Review was not a D&D only product. In fact, it was designed to be a magazine that covered miniature wargaming as well as role playing games. And that was a deliberate design. The reasoning for that was well, at the time, role playing games were still considered a subcategory of the wargaming hobby. So a magazine dedicated solely to role-playing games wouldn't have made a lot of sense, or to be honest, probably sold as well. But one with a primary focus on wargaming that just happened to have some quality role-playing advice, that seemed like a sure bet. The Strategic Review survived for a whole seven issues, it published monthly, and was canceled in 1976. TSR made the decision to replace the Strategic Review with two magazines. Little Wars, which covered miniature wargaming, and The Dragon, which covered role-playing games. Only one of those magazines survived, and based on the title of this week's episode, I'm guessing you can figure out which one it was. That's right, Little Wars survived 12 issues before being folded into The Dragon in issue 22. Now, back in the TSR and Gary Gygax episodes of this show, I noted that Gary brought Tim Cask on board in 1976 to edit Dragon Magazine. But Gary tells the story best himself. Quote, When I decided that the strategic review was not the right vehicle, I hired Tim Cask as a magazine editor for Tactical Studies Rules and named the new publication he was to produce The Dragon. I thought we would eventually have a great periodical to serve gaming enthusiasts worldwide. At no time did I ever contemplate so great a success or so long a lifespan. End quote. The first issue of The Dragon dropped in June of 1976, and its title was eventually shortened to Dragon. Dragon quickly became the go-to magazine for D&D content. Spells, monsters, magic items, and all kinds of other rules were written up in the pages of the magazine. A great many of those eventually found their way into official D&D rulebooks, while others found their way into the game because they were loved and appreciated by the devoted fans of the magazine. It should also be noted that during the first decade of Dragon's existence, most issues would include at least one short adventure. Now, this would cease when the other subject of today's podcast, Dungeon Magazine, launched in 1986. It would be very easy to say that without Dragon Magazine, D&D would probably never have had the Forgotten Realms. Ed Greenwood had a number of articles about his setting published in the pages of Dragon in the early and mid-1980s, and based on the popularity of those articles, it became a primary world for D&D in 1987. 
So, Dragon Magazine continued to bring its readers the latest and greatest in the world of D&D. When Wizards of the Coast bought TSR in 1997, they also acquired Dragon Magazine. Their one change with the magazine was to move its base of operations from Wisconsin to Washington. Otherwise, the magazine continued to operate as it had for 20 years to that point. Now, when Hasbro purchased Wizards, there wound up being a five-month gap in publication. But that was reportedly due to Hasbro taking an inventory of everything under the Wizards umbrella so that they understood exactly what they'd gotten. Once that was done, the next issue came out and the magazine stayed on time for the remainder of its lifespan. In 1999, to celebrate the first 250 issues of the magazine, a special CD-ROM was released. Titled Dragon Magazine Archive, it collected all 250 issues of the magazine in a PDF format, as well as the seven issues in the history of the Strategic Review. And for the record, I own a copy of this disc. When I say it has all the issues, it has all the issues in their entirety. The, the, the articles, the comics, the ads, everything. In fact, that everything inclusion is the reason why that CD is no longer in print and no longer available anywhere legally. See, in the very first issue of Dragon, TSR had included a statement that said, quote, All material published herein becomes the exclusive property of the publisher unless special arrangements to the contrary are made. End quote. Now, for the most part, I'm sure creators who submitted works to Dragon were just happy their stuff was getting published somewhere. For a guy like Ed Greenwood, getting published in Dragon led to a full-on career as a designer, and in my opinion, it made him a legend in the D&D hobby. And he wasn't the only one. However, things changed. In 2001, a copyright lawsuit was filed against the National Geographic Society, which is the group responsible for National Geographic magazine, by a photographer named Jerry Greenberg. In 1997, the Society had released a digital archive, similar to the Dragon Magazine archive, which had every monthly issue of National Geographic magazine ever published in it. Greenberg took issue with the fact that the Society was profiting again from photos he'd licensed to them for publishing in the magazine over the years. So in layman's terms, Greensburg argument was that the archive the Society had produced was a revision of the original work rather than a reprinting of the original, and therefore the license he'd signed with the Society no longer applied. Needless to say, this case spent about a decade working its way through the courts. Eventually, they agreed with Greenberg, with the initial judgment coming out from the 11th Circle Court of Appeals in 2001. So, with Wizards and Paizo Publishing, who took over publishing Dragon in 2002, seeing the writing on the wall, the archive was pulled from stores. And needless to say, if you've got one of those, you've got yourself quite the little collector's item. Now, as I just mentioned, Paizo Publishing took over the publishing of Dragon in 2002. I should also note here that Paizo had, and still has, a stated policy that the comics that appear in their publications remain the property of their creators. It has been noted over the years that Paizo's policy also influenced the decision concerning the discontinuation of the archive. 
during Paizo's time. Publishing Dragon, It, and Dungeon, which Paizo also got the rights to, were tied more closely together, with Dragon publishing rules and other articles that would support some of the adventures being published in Dungeon. Also during this time, Paizo utilized the magazines for multi-issue adventures, such as Age of Worms and Savage Tides. On April 18, 2007, Wizards of the Coast announced that Paizo would no longer be publishing Dragon Magazine. The last Paizo issue dropped in September of 2007. In August of 2007, Wizards announced that Dragon would be going to an online-only format. In August of 2007, Wizards announced that Dragon would be going to an online-only format. With the new rules being offered in the virtual pages of the magazine tying into the D&D character builder that Wizards had developed for the 4th edition of D&D. However, all good things must eventually come to an end. And for Dragon, the end was with issue 430, which released in December of 2013. Prior to that release, Chris Perkins had announced that Dragon and Dungeon would be going on hiatus while the company focused on the release of D&D 5th edition. At that time, readers were unaware that that hiatus would be permanent. However, Dragon did make a comeback, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Throughout its history, Dragon Magazine featured not only new rules and the like for D&D players, but also fantasy fiction, either as short stories or excerpts from novels. In the early days of the magazine, there were a lot of fiction stories included, but this slowed to a trickle over the years. In fact, by the end of the 1990s, having any fiction stories show up in the magazine were quite a rare feat. One source I read for this episode noted that a very rare exception to that lack of fantasy was when George R.R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows had an excerpt published prior to its release in issue number 305. Dragon also offered up book reviews of fantasy and sci-fi novels and film and television reviews of notable releases within the fantasy genre. Throughout its history, most of the top names in the gaming world had articles published in its pages. Ed Greenwood's name was one I mentioned specifically, but Chris Perkins, Monty Cook, and pretty much every big name in Dungeons & Dragons had their work presented in the magazine at some point or another. For the record, I lost track of the number of articles I read doing research for this episode where someone noted that getting their stuff published in Dragon Magazine was a career high for them, regardless of where their career wound up going from there. And I know, we all know how much I love to talk about how many awards that the various games have won, so I would be remiss if I didn't note that Dragon Magazine earned itself a ton of awards over its lifetime. The very tip of that awards iceberg were eight separate Origins Awards earned between 1984 and 2007. So, with the end of Dragon, let's jump over to explore the history of its sister publication, Dungeon. Dungeon Magazine was first mentioned in an editor's column in Dragon Magazine in March of 1986. Roger E. Moore, who was the first editor for Dungeon, presented it to the readers like this. Dungeon Adventures is a new periodical from TSR Incorporated in which you, the readers, may share your own adventures and scenarios from AD&D and D&D gaming with the legions of other fantasy gamers. Each issue offers a number of fairly short, but often quite complicated and long-playing modules selected from the best we receive. Now, while Moore referred to the title of the magazine as Dungeon Adventures, 
technically the title was Dungeon, Adventures for TSR Role-Playing Games. Since that's a mouthful, I'm going to go with Dungeon Adventures from this point on. The first issue was dropped around October of 1986, but that exact release date is not quite certain, as the first issue doesn't have a date on it. We can guess October, as the second issue has November-December 1986 printed on it. As promised in that first statement, Dungeon Adventures was 64 pages of short adventures for both AD&D and D&D, and were written by a mix of amateur and professional role-playing writers. When the magazine celebrated its first anniversary a year later, Ken Rolston dropped a brief review in the September 1987 issue of Dragon, and was exceptionally generous in his review. Dungeon Adventures continued to be published bi-monthly throughout the 1980s and into the 1990s. In 1997, Wizards of the Coast acquired both Dungeon and Dragon magazines when it purchased TSR, and the next 30 issues of Dungeon Adventures were published by Wizards. With the drop of issue 78 in January of 2000, the title of the magazine was shortened officially to Dungeon Adventures. Four issues later, in August, that title was shortened even further to now be referred to as Dungeon. As I mentioned when discussing Dragon a few moments earlier, both it and Dungeon were shifted to Paizo Publishing in late 2002, then back to Wizards in 2007. Dungeon got the same treatment that Dragon did upon its return to Wizards as it was moved to an online-only format. At the time, Scott Rouse, who was the senior brand manager of D&D Wizards, noted that, quote, Today, the internet is where people go to get this kind of information. By moving to an online model, we are using a delivery system that broadens our reach to fans around the world, end quote. It should also be noted that when both magazines went digital, Dungeon saw some material that was once Dragon exclusive be moved to the Dungeon side of the equation. One example of this was the column Save My Game, which had appeared in Dragon for years. The idea behind this move was to make Dungeon Magazine a one-stop shop for DMs, while Dragon would be more of that one-stop shop for players. Also, Dungeon saw material released on an almost daily basis during this time, though it was compiled monthly into a PDF format for those who wanted their material in that particular format. This continued through 2011, when Wizards stopped the monthly compilations. Those were restarted again in October of 2012. The final issue of Dungeon was released online in December of 2013. For the record, it was issue number 221. However, much like I said about Dragon, Dungeon rose from the dead as well, though not quite the same way. Again, we'll, we'll get to all of that in just a minute. When discussing the history of Dungeon Magazine, we should always come back to this point. It was the one magazine where you were guaranteed to find new adventures each and every issue. Some were playtest scenarios, while others were homebrewed adventures. Regardless, much like with Dragon, Dungeon was a home for game creators looking for a place to get themselves published, and TSR found a number of their game creators through submissions to Dungeon Magazine. Also like Dragon, 
Dungeon saw its material transformed over the years as well. While it was initially a home for everything AD&D and D&D, once Wizards took over and made 3rd Edition the standard, everything that Dungeon presented was for 3rd Edition. When 4th Edition came along, Dungeon changed along with it. Another interesting component of Dungeon's history is the fact that it was combined with Polyhedron Magazine in January of 2002. Now, Polyhedron had been the official publication of the Role-Playing Game Association, and it published adventures outside of the fantasy genre. So for about two years, Dungeon had portions of its issues devoted to the materials Polyhedron had supported for years. This ended in September of 2004. Oh, and awards. Well, Dungeon took home a building's worth of them over the years from pretty much every publication that gives out awards. I lost track at about two dozen, and there were way more than that. Okay, I've mentioned a couple of times that while Dragon and Dungeon ceased publication, they both came back to life. Let's look into that. On April 30th, 2015, Wizards launched a new, fully digital, bi-monthly publication called Dragon Plus. It's the spiritual successor to both Dragon and Dungeon magazines. I say spiritual successor because it doesn't share history with those magazines. And in fact, it has its own numbering system, with issue 1 dating itself to April of 2015. Dragon Plus can be accessed through a free app and is full of game strategies and insights, details of the current D&D product, interviews, comics, lore, and information on the various game worlds being utilized for the current edition. Dragon Plus also utilizes links to its Facebook and its Twitter feeds. And with that little nugget, we come to the end of today's tour. Next week, I want to dive back into Dungeons & Dragons by taking a look at D&D's first edition. Now, in doing that, we're going to be doing a lot of compare and contrast, so you might want to have your 5th edition handbook handy. Now, before I do anything else, I do need to apologize. I know that this week's show got out a lot later than it has been, and it's a lot shorter than I would usually have, and I don't have anybody but myself to blame for that. I did want to note, I started a new job this week, and I didn't really plan my week out properly, so that left me scrambling at the last minute to get the episode produced, but I swore I was going to get this episode out because I promised I would. So overall, yeah, there was a lot of shit that went bad this week, and I, that, that's on me, so I'm going to do everything I can moving forward to make sure we don't have that problem again. Now, as always, I do need to make sure we get that credit out there to Pixabay.com for the music that we use to intro and outro the show. I got to make sure I give you the thank you, each and every one of you. I want to thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Your continued support is what makes me keep doing this. And as always, please tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, hell, tell your enemies, man. I mean, while you're in the middle of telling them piss off, tell them if you know, they're looking for something great to listen to. This podcast is what they need. More listeners means, you know, I the opportunity to drive a little more revenue for this show. And more revenue means I get to do more cool shit for this program. So that's really, you know, because every, every penny I make, which is about uh, $2.70 to this point, but every penny I make, I pour back into the show. So... The more people that listen, the more money we make, the more shit I can do with this show. So really, like I said, tell everybody. As always, you can follow us on Facebook at the Role Playing History Podcast page. 
Hit us up on Twitter at RolePlayingP. YouTube, you know it. We've got a channel, Role Playing History Podcast. Click on the subscribe button and hit the bell to get notifications when we drop new stuff. You want to email me? Please do. RolePlayingHistoryPodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we go back to the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons. I can tell you this. It is a way different game than what we're playing today. So you're going to want to check that out. But, like I said, that's next week. And until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history. Mm-hmm.